Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Rosie. And I'm Ryan. And before we get started today, we want to thank our two newest patrons, Laura and Candace. Thank you, Laura and Candace. We really appreciate you guys. And um, thank you for joining up with our little Patreon family. Mm-hmm. And we have another new patron, but they need to look into their Patreon messages, so we have the A-OK on telling everybody their name. Yeah, we we don't like to um, share people's names unless we have permission. So anyway, with that said, um, for episode 52, 52, it's been a whole year since we started podcasting. Um, it's surprising that we've made it this far. It's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And what's even more surprising is how many people have started listening. And yeah, yeah, we really appreciate you guys because if you weren't listening, we probably wouldn't be uploading every week. So Mm -hmm. we appreciate that a lot. Uh, we really feel like, um, what we're doing has been important to a lot of people. And so thank you all for reaching out and letting us know and all the kind reviews. And, yeah, I guess right now I'm kind of stalling because I'm really nervous about (laughs) this episode. But Oh, also another quick thing is to those of you who have emailed us or given us your stories, we are sorry that we're taking so long to reply. Our lives are quite busy right now. Yeah. But don't give up hope. Yeah. We are going to be reading and replying soon. Yeah, if we don't reply in a timely manner, it's because um, I'm terrible at replying because of my memory. Like, I'll read something that we get in, and then I'll want to think about it before replying, and then I just, you know, life gets in the way. <laughs> so I'm, I'll work on that. But... Since it's episode 52, it's been a whole year, we wanted to do something kind of special because it's a pretty cool milestone. And, um, yeah, so this week I'm going to be sharing a very personal story to me. You know, back in episode 18, Rosie shared her personal story, which if you haven't heard that yet, definitely go listen to that before you listen to this one because it's... um, It fits in with the show a lot more. This week, we're taking a break from abuse because, fortunately, I haven't um, had to suffer through any of that. But I wanted to talk about a subject that's pretty taboo out there and that a lot of people do struggle with. And it's really embarrassing to talk about. And I feel like a lot of people keep it inside because it is really feels shameful. Um... And it's hard to talk about. So I'm super nervous and anxious about about this because I have had a lot of shame about it over the years, most of my life. And I finally feel like I'm in a healthy enough place and I've grown past this part of my life to be able to talk about it. And I've been so inspired by all the people, including Rosie, <laughs> that have been willing to come on our show and talk about things that were way more difficult than what I'm about to talk about. I guess I'm mostly nervous because the thing I'm talking about is more of a personal issue that I brought upon myself, and there's really no other person to blame besides myself. And I also know posting this publicly will make make me vulnerable and open me up to judgment from people that, you know, you know how people are on the Internet. But I do think it could be helpful to other people going through the same type of stuff as I did. And as I wrote this outline, I I learned a lot about myself and made some connections I hadn't made before. So uh, it, it was kind of a healing process for me, too. It's taken me a while to be able to have the courage to talk about this part of my life in detail, but I think it's time. And before we get into the core of what I want to talk about... I just want to give a bit of backstory on my childhood. So, before we get started, do you have anything you want to say, Rosie? Um, no. All right. I think we're all eager to hear what you got to say. I guess I can only put it out for so long. Well, all right. So, back to my childhood. When I started school, I lived in this tiny town of about 300 people, Hagen, Wisconsin. 
And this town, even though it was so small, it actually had its own elementary school. And I went to kindergarten there, but I quickly became a target of bullying. Um, prior to starting school, I never really had any friends besides my sisters and had no social practice or really any idea what kids were like. So at this point, I was at a pretty normal weight for a child. I was just being bullied because kids are dumb, and I was shy and awkward, so it was an easy easy uh, target for them. And this actually led to my parents um, wanting to switch things up because the bullying did get so bad. So in first grade, they moved me to a school in a bigger town about seven miles away from where I lived in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. I started riding the bus with my sister uh, once I switched to that school, and understandably, she wanted to sit by her friends, so I was usually left alone, and I remember her telling her friends on the bus that I didn't really wipe after using the toilet, Mm -hmm. which wasn't true, and if it was, I was a first grader at the time, so, I mean, whatever, but anyway, (laughs) they would tease me a lot in front of the whole bus for it her age group of friends and it was pretty embarrassing and kind of started me feeling like I was less than other people and I don't hold it against her now but because she was only in middle school but I ended up not really having any friends and so I would usually sit by myself and end up next to whoever was willing to sit with me but as the years in elementary school went on I got bullied a lot Uh, First grade was also the year that I was diagnosed with ADHD, and that was before people realized how common it was, so I felt kind of like an outsider for that. But I remember these two boys I was in school with, Josh and Tyler. (laughs) How funny. Yeah, ironic, because those happened to be the names of the two people in one of my favorite bands, 21 Pilots, and me and Rosie Love Mm -hmm. together. I'm wearing their shirt right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. But these two kids were not nice. Uh, They were basically the reason I feared getting up every day and going to school in elementary school. Uh, I really hated it. Um, Were they physical with you? Yeah. Uh, I'll get into it a little more. But around this time, I had started gaining weight. I remember being in second grade and being so excited that I had surpassed 100 pounds. It was like a game to me at the time, and I had no idea what a struggle being overweight was and what it would be in the future. I just wanted to be big and strong so I could defend myself, but it ended up just giving the bullies more fodder for their attacks on me, you know? Hmm. So I ended up in the principal's office a lot, nearly on a daily basis, and it usually started with Josh and Tyler making fun of me for being fat and then me defending myself in some ineffective way. Can I ask how? What was I, your way? I don't know, just kind of mouthing off back to them. Mm. Saying something stupid and just off the cuff, which probably just sound made me sound even more stupid. Mm. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but then together they would kind of team up on me and grab me and drag me to a secluded part of the playground and start punching and kicking me and and uh, sometimes just leaving me laying there on the ground and... Then other days, as time went on, I would start trying to fight back. But this always led to me ending up in the principal's office while they stayed outside for recess. Somehow they always found a way to blame it on me. And because there were two of them, they were the ones that were believed. And somehow the entire class of 20 or so kids backed them up. Oh, Ryan, that's really sad. I know. Like I said, they were cool kids and I was a loser. So then my principal would send these notifications home with me to have my parents sign and bring back to them, basically letting my parents know I was a troublemaker. And so things continued that way. And as I went, um, I was in this school until fourth grade, so that's kind of how things were from first to fourth grade. Then I moved to a town uh, that was even closer to the Twin Cities, Hammond, Wisconsin. This was kind of a big move for our family. Um, so I finished fifth grade and went on to middle school in this town. But to be clear, it really wasn't that close to the Twin Cities. True. Now that I'm closer to the Twin Cities, I realize it's Me being from the Twin Cities, 
thinks that Hammond is like a little tiny hick town. Yeah, but it is out in the boonies. But being from Rice Lake and from Hagen, um, Hammond, Wisconsin seemed like a big upgrade. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I know. Um, so this move happened in the spring of 2001, and it was just before the events of 9-11. And like a lot of people, I developed some serious paranoia after this, so much that I couldn't sleep in my own bedroom for about a month. I think I dragged my twin-size mattress into my dad's room and slept on his floor for a month. <laughs> How old were you when 9-11 happened? Ten. Huh. Actually, I guess... Yeah, 10. Because I was born in 91. Because when it happened to... When it happened and I noticed, I, like, as a kid, gave no thought to it. Well, you were, what, seven? Yeah. That makes sense. True. I don't know. Um, But anyways, I was constantly paranoid of a bomb going off in St. Paul or Minneapolis and taking out all the nearby suburbs where we lived. So not nearby. I I was very much a worrier as a child, and I get that from my mom. And you still have it today. I do, don't I? <laughs> but anyway, and now I'm going to talk about my sisters a little bit. Uh, I have three older sisters, and I'm actually eight years younger than my youngest sister. So growing up, they were like three extra moms to me. And the only one I really remember living with was my youngest sister. We were the closest, but we also fought the most. And shortly before we had made this big move in 2001, she had met a guy online out in Idaho and decided to move out there. And she didn't tell my mom until the day she did it. It was kind of a big ordeal. That's so bad. I know. My dad and I and my sister all rode in the car and picked her up from work and dropped the news on her. When we surprised her picking her up at work. You surprised your mom? Yeah. Okay. And then we drove straight to the airport from my mom's work. That's really messed up. Yeah, it was pretty pretty thoughtless, I guess. This made my mom sink into a new kind of sadness that I hadn't seen her in before. What was your dad thinking? I mean, he was. I guess he was trying to be supportive, but he... It, but being supportive would have been to tell his wife what was happening, too. Ahead of time, yeah. What the heck? Well, You're it's a tough situation because... is so dysfunctional. It was a tough situation because it was my sister's personal choice, which she had every right to make. Well, yeah, but it was still... Yeah, it was a, a cold-hearted w- way of executing it. That's yeah. For sure. But... Uh, this same year, my middle sister had been staying overnight at our house, and I had always looked up to her. She was my fun sister. Even though she had gotten married when I was around four years old, she still always made time to spend with me, and she'd always take me to the video store and let me pick out a movie to rent, and then we'd stay up late and watch it. And I still have vivid memories of her holding me and dancing to the Lion King soundtrack just before she got married. Every time I hear the Lion King, I always think of that. And I, I don't like picking favorites, but at the time, she was the sister I enjoyed being with the most. <laughs> hey, man, everyone's got a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> but um, one night she was spending at our house in 2001 when I was about 10, and a storm siren went off in the middle of the night. My parents got up to run downstairs, and when we went through the living room to get downstairs... She was there sleeping on the couch, and we were calling her name, trying to get her to come with us, but she wasn't responding, and so my parents tried shaking her awake, but she still wouldn't get up, and then uh, she kind of shifted a little bit, and an empty beer bottle and a half-empty bottle of Captain Morgan came rolling off the couch from under her blankets, and I had no idea before this, but she had actually struggled with alcoholism her whole life. is she at this point in her 30s i think early 30s or maybe late 20s okay it's hard to say i think oh here's zucchini i think she was born in 77 so okay and this was 2001 but 
She finally sat up with the help of my parents, but she was barely able to talk, and I'm guessing she was super ashamed that I was seeing her like this, and so sad that she had messed up and relapsed. But this was the first time I'd learned of her struggles, and after this I learned she had also been abused as a child and never really got the help she needed with it or was able to talk about it until much later in life. So there's a whole other story in that that I don't really know yet. But hmm. over the next few years, we'd get calls in the middle of the night that she had relapsed again or attempted suicide. One night we drove an hour and a half to the hospital in her town because she'd tried to overdose and she almost succeeded. And so her life was a constant struggle between suicidal tendencies, alcoholism, and and struggles with prescription drugs. And I can't say for sure, but I think it's related to her past abuse. I mean, kind of yeah, makes sense. It does go hand in hand if it wasn't treated. I would like to talk to her someday about it and and learn more about her past. But mm -hmm. anyways, also around the same time, I was really starting to get serious about playing the drums. This was kind of the big bright spot in my childhood that I can remember. I had played pretty much every single day since I was two years old. But at this point, I had a regimen of playing with the Shrek soundtrack Woo! <laughs> and the Bee Gees one night only live album every day. Um... So, not the coolest music <laughs> that I could have been playing with at no. that time. But Did you brag about that at school? No. Okay, that, that was probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> but at this time, drumming was the one thing in my life that really gave me self-value as I was growing up. It made me stand out, and some of the kids in my middle school even thought I was cool, which was a completely new idea for me. I had um, band class starting in middle school, and I was, not to brag, but I was the best drummer in the class, because my band teacher would often ask me to help the other kids out when they were struggling. So, I mean, it's just because I was playing my whole life, you know? You can brag a little. It's okay. I don't like to. This, this whole episode is really uncomfortable for me because I hate talking about myself. But anyway, the bullying didn't stop there. It, was, it wasn't as frequent, but um, I have a vivid memory of this one day at recess when I spotted this kid that was about to throw a basketball at a girl in my class. Um, he was behind her and sneaking up, and he was going to chuck a basketball at her. And she had no idea he was behind her. And it obviously really would have hurt. It's a basketball. So I ran up behind the kid and stripped it out of his hand, and he flipped out on me. Uh, he was a, a much stronger kid than me, even though he was smaller. I was around 250 pounds at this time, but it was a, you know, fat heavy, not muscular heavy. How old are you? Uh, middle school. Well, okay. Not, you know, 6th, 7th grade. Okay, so like 12, 13? Yeah, something like that. Um, so I wasn't a good fighter. <laughs> I had never really learned to fight back. And he kicked my butt. He bit my arm so hard that it broke the skin. I actually still have a faint Ew. scar from his tooth marks. And he punched me in the face, leaving me with a black eye. And this time was different than elementary school, though. Um, several of the other boys in my class had seen the whole thing, and they actually had my back. The other boys swarmed him and grabbed him by all his limbs and held him up and... They gave me the basketball and were chanting for me to chuck the basketball at him to, I guess, make him pay for what he did. And it was tough for me. I felt a lot of emotions, anger, and I was in pain from my new cuts and bruises. And I actually remember having tears streaming down my face. And I wound up the ball. And you threw it as hard as you could at the kid? I threw it at the ground. Oh, Ryan. <laughs> I think I would have been one of those kids holding the other one down for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know you would. But I don't know. I just couldn't bring myself to hurt this kid. And, I mean, I knew he had a really rough home life and, like, a really messed up family. And I knew it wouldn't solve anything. And he probably would have found a way to get back at me in the future, you know. So um, at first all the other kids were mad at me, too. 
and they actually ended up throwing the basketball at him anyway. <laughs> but at least I'd removed myself from the situation, and I think it was more satisfying than if I would have done it because eventually the other kids did respect me for it, and the bully that I'd stood up to actually apologized to me, and we became friends later on. Really? Yeah, not close friends, but friendly acquaintances. And as far as I can remember, that was the end of the bullying I experienced in school. But around this time, another new kid had moved into town. He was in eighth grade, a year older than me, and I thought he was so cool. We were friends for the next several years, and he was older than me, kind of accomplishing all the stuff I wanted to do before I did, so... He got a job at Subway when he was old enough. And oh, he... that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was. Having a job is cool when you're 13. And he bought a guitar with his own money. So that was cool. And he actually built kind of a little studio in his basement. But we started playing music together. And it was fun. But my parents started to notice that this was a toxic relationship. And... I hadn't even realized it, but looking back, I can see what they were talking about. He would constantly berate me and tell me I sucked at drums, which was the only thing I thought I was good at. So it kind of, you know, I got used to being that the underling. And we'd play video games together, and he'd always beat me. And I just accepted the fact that I sucked at video games. And I would often say that. And okay, well, that's fair. And, I mean- yeah. So I'm going mean, to let you win. I didn't really care. I was like, whatever. Yeah. And he'd remind me of that all the time. Like, you suck, man. So, I mean, I realize now that pretty much everything he said to me was to let me know that he was better than me at everything. And it worked on me at the time. I really looked up to him, and I was okay with just being the sidekick. I mean, he had a job, he made money, and he was older, bigger, and stronger than me. So, Do I know who this is? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. But one day, we were playing a round of StarCraft, the PC game. We were playing over LAN, um, and we were playing with a fast map, which meant your main building was right next to a mineral deposit, so your workers didn't have to move at all to mine resources, so the gameplay was quick and easy, because you'd have that steady flow of resources. Anyway... <laughs> Nerd talk. Right. Okay, cut to the good stuff. Well, okay, so I was sick of always losing, and I wanted to impress my friend, like, because I was so, I was always, you know, I always sucked. So I I used all my resources to fly into his base and just take out his main headquarters, and so he lost his quick resources, which were the advantage of the map, and I was like, Maybe this would give me a chance to finally beat him if he didn't have the quick resources like I did. Well, he paused the game, and I was, like, super excited. And I figured he'd continue playing until the end like I did every single time, even knowing I'd lose. But he paused it, and (laughs) I was playing on the main level of the house, and he was playing upstairs. And I thought maybe he was coming down to say, like, hey, that was pretty cool. So I ran to the bottom of the steps, and when I saw him, I was like, did you see that? I was super excited to finally find a way to maybe beat him, but instead of saying anything, he just body slammed me into his parents' hallway wall and started yelling at me. And so that was that's an example of the kind of relationship we had. Like, mm. he was very domineering, and if I did anything to challenge that, he would be physical, you know? Hmm. So... From then on, I was very careful to uh, never do anything too well around him because I had this strange desire to appease him for some reason. I've always been a chronic people pleaser, which isn't always for my own good. Um, so now I realize that was a pretty toxic friendship, but it did really degrade my self-esteem being in this relationship, which contributed to what I'm talking about. And just bear with me, all the stuff I'm talking about is are factors that I've realized played into where I ended up in the future. But not too long after this, when I was about 14, my mom started realizing that I was at an unhealthy weight. And 
My parents had always been overweight, and my whole family had struggled with it, but when she took me to the dietitian, I was 292 pounds in 8th grade. So, pretty fluffy. <laughs> the di- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty fluffy. The dietitian had me make a food log for the two weeks prior to that, and um, looking back now, it's pretty embarrassing, but on one of the days on the way back home from a school field trip, my class had stopped at Arby's, and they had that five-for-five five deal back then. Oh, no. Five items for $5. No. What'd you do? I got four sandwiches and a curly fry, which at the time I thought was completely normal. But um, when my dietitian asked me if I saw anything wrong with it, I was like, no. Uh, to me, eating that amount was completely normal, and... This is when I actually started becoming aware of my health. Um, she kind of helped me to learn more about that. And I started watching my carbs and running on the elliptical machine. And I was able to get down to 220 from nearly 300. And it felt great at the time. But then I started getting distracted with girls. as None other than teen- girls. Teenagers do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And instead of spending my time cooking healthy meals and working out like I had been for a while, I focused more on chatting with my friends, who mostly happened to be girls. Um, This was around the time of instant messaging, when it was really popping. And (laughs) before, uh, I guess it was also around the time of text messaging, but I stopped paying attention to my weight as much, and... The summer I graduated in 2009, I I decided to take a trip down to Ohio with another friend of mine to go hang out with these two girls we knew down there. And I know the the two girls. Yeah. (laughs) By some (laughs) miracle, our parents allowed us to to go down there. Um, The girl I knew down in Ohio, I had a huge crush on her, like more than I ever had in my life. And we'd actually been dating over the internet for a while before I went down there. But the day I got there, I could tell instantly that she was a little disappointed when she saw me. But things seemed to go okay for the first day. We went to a park with our two friends, and she actually ended up giving me my first kiss. And so I was like, oh, everything's cool. I was so excited to have a girlfriend. I swear that Say Anything song was playing over and over in my head. (laughs) You know the one I'm talking about? Girlfriend? Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. Actually, no, I think it's got a longer title. But (laughs) later that day, we all went to the pool, and so I had my shirt off, and she straight up asked me, pointing at my body, what's going on here? She did not. Yeah. She did? Oh, punch a girl for you. Aw. That's so rude. Thank you. Oh, and I know who it is. (laughs) but at that time it just shattered me i had um traveled all the way down there to see her you know and i was really crushing on her Mm -hmm. so that's i'm i'm holding back ryan i am holding back (laughs) i like it when you get protective so i had gone from 220 where i was when i stopped trying to lose weight all the way back up to 250 and I guess it was really starting to show. Really? So when you, Right after you graduated? Yeah. Huh. So the next day, she had the difficult conversation with me, breaking up with me on the spot. And that was the second day we were there, but we were staying at her house for a whole week. So kind of put a damper on the trip. <laughs> the friend I traveled with still had his girl, and things were going great for them. So I tried my best to be positive, and I accepted the breakup and still tried to make the best of the trip. I was still head over heels <laughs> That's for this so girl. so awkward. I know. I wonder why she didn't wait till the last day. Like, what is, what's a couple more days, right? Well, I'll get to that, because um, there was another person. Oh, yeah. Um, but, man... I even let her shave my legs and chest when we were there after we had broken up. Like, Why? I was still. Why did you let her do that? I was still in love. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I I was so... desperately holding on to some stupid hope that I could still make her fall for me by letting her shave your legs. You yeah. thought that was the key? Yeah, isn't it? 
<laughs> anyway, later that week, her sister had her wedding. Um, I guess that was the big reason we were down there. But at the wedding, I did what I could to help set up and help prepare. And I was doing everything I could to make her like me, basically. But then at the wedding, her ex-boyfriend was there. And she couldn't stop talking about him to me. What a brat. I know. But then she went over to him, and he asked her to dance. And, yeah, I had no right to, but I felt pretty betrayed. Like, that I came down there, and then just things didn't go as I expected, which is just part of life. But at the time, it had a pretty big impact on me. Yeah. Um... So a couple days later, and there's some loud cars out there, a couple days later we planned to go to a park where there would be live music. It was actually Rick Springfield um, who was playing that night. You know the guy who sings Jesse's Girl? Oh, really? He was playing at a park? Yeah. So things well, it was like so It was like a community fair thing. Oh. But, <laughs> hey, <laughs> let's guy. not malign the artists of the industry. She ended up inviting her ex-boyfriend to tag along with us, which was just nice. so exciting for me. So, so he did, um, and I just, I remember the feeling vividly. Oh my gosh. I almost broke into tears when Rick played Jesse's Girl because I felt the desperation <laughs> in the lyrics. <laughs> and then, I'm sorry, Ryan. And then after the performance, there was a fireworks show, <laughs> and... I was really trying to enjoy it, but then all I could see was the girl that I was in love with at the time making out with her ex-boyfriend right in front of me with the fireworks going off. So sad. Yeah. I traveled 700 miles to see this girl, and I liked her for a year and fought hard to get with her because I did have to, you know, fight to get her to actually start dating me. Which is, in retrospect, a really bad way to start a relationship, probably. I don't know. But (laughs) anyway, I lost her a day after meeting her in person. So, And in my mind, this was all because I was too fat. Because remember at the pool, she was like, what's going on here? At, At least that's how I associated it in my brain. And so then I had to suffer for a week and watch her make out with another guy. And... I was just completely crushed, Ugh. and in my mind, it was all because I was fat again. Well, she's nothing special, Ryan. Thank you. You already knew that, though. Aw. It does make me feel better now, knowing where I am now. Like, I'm very grateful that this didn't work out, because... I would hope so, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but... The reason I'm saying this is because it had a huge impact on the way I viewed my body image, which is um, the big issue I'm getting to getting to later in here, because this is when the true connection between my self-worth and my weight formed in my mind, and the only way I believed anyone could ever like me was with, if I was thin, you know? Mm. So... When I was around 19, which wasn't um, that much longer after this, about a year after this, I experienced one of the biggest shocks and tragedies of my life. I had a best friend who I met when I was 10, and we'd been really close for like nine years. I literally called him every day after school, and we'd talk, you know, like friends do. We stayed really close. And then I had been playing in a band with him and my dad, along with some other people for about four years. And around this same time, my middle sister, who I talked about earlier, the one who struggled with being suicidal and alcoholic, she started going to rehab. And for some reason, she moved in with us at the time, me and my parents. And she made progress and eventually got out of rehab. But she continued to live with us to have a little more time to adjust to real life. And she got a job at a hotel as a maid, and things were going well for her. And she and I got really close, and I was excited to finally have a close relationship with a sibling. She was a huge fan of our band, which was really cool. Uh, We'd play a show once a month during the winter months, and 
She even talked about getting her own apartment in, in a nearby town and offered to let me live with her when I was 18 to get some experience with independence and stuff. But, but to get an apartment in town, didn't she have her husband and kids? Yeah, she did. I, I'm confused about how that was all working out, but that's what happened. So, Huh. I think she was trying to learn to live and adjust to real life before going back to them, but I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, it was weird. So, um, but these plans never did happen. So, uh, one day I'd actually opened up my laptop and I saw an email from my best friend. Uh, when I opened it, it didn't sound right. It was really romantic and talked about spending the night together. And that's when I realized that I was in my sister's email. And I realized I had just learned some information that was going to be a real burden on me. That my 35-year-old married sister with two kids was sleeping with my 18-year-old best friend. Yikes. So, I mean, I didn't know what to do. So I told my parents, who then told her she had to move out. And so she ended up leaving her family and getting married to my best friend. And this started a ball rolling in my family. Um, there was so much fighting and craziness in our house between my parents. And a couple months later is when my dad left and moved out to Idaho, where my youngest sister had moved um, back in 2001. And I still remember running around and yelling the night that my dad was packing up his car and when he did walk out the door i ripped a plaque off the wall which my parents wedding invitation was preserved on and i chucked it at his car as he drove away mm. and then i started sobbing uncontrollably as he drove away and i ripped this family name sign that i had made in shop class off the front of the house and smashed it on the driveway we both had similar yeah. moments when our dads left the family. Yeah, I was going to say, you've experienced something pretty similar to we that, both too. tried destroying their cars as they left. Yeah, you're right. Special to share that. <laughs> and it's well, sick. This is, <laughs> this is a dark episode for a celebration of one year. Yeah, really. But at least we're not talking about but abuse. But I just realized that about the cars. Yeah, it's kind of. I actually realized that too when I was reading when I was writing this. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, at that moment, I was realizing that our family was completely broken and would never be the same. And so, I spent the next few months in a crippling depression where I would never leave the house. I was really isolating myself, and this was a really dark time in my life. Um, a few friends actually came over and gave me some encouragement, like. You probably want to get out and and try to start moving out of this depression. And so I finally did start getting out of the house again and um, pulled out of this depression. But that's when I started getting really serious about music. Because, I mean, it was a really dark time and it inspired a lot of angsty, raw emotion in me. And so... <laughs> I put together a studio and started a YouTube channel where I'd upload new original music every week, and I think it lasted like 20 weeks, and then I did several covers between and after this, but that really helped me, uh, having this outlet, um, even though it was very embarrassingly angsty, and, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't like watching it now, because it's like, man, I was in a dark place, but... At the same time, I was struggling with another personal monster. Uh, so, finally, if you saw the title and you listened to this, and you're probably like, when is he going to get to the point? I just wanted to give a backstory of the factors that led up to this. So, it was kind of easier to make sense of how it happened, because it never just happens, you know? There's always something that leads up to to these big problems. But the two things that I never really came to terms with before that I've just realized as I put together this outline were the aspects that were nurtured into me from my experiences that made me susceptible to developing an eating disorder, which is what I'm talking about. 
So the first factor is that from the time I started school, I had low self-esteem. I was often the target of bullying, and I always felt like the other kids knew something I didn't know. I was felt like I was missing something that set me behind from the rest of the kids, which I still kind of have that. But then another factor is that my experiences in life, from bullying to being dumped by my first kiss, really they helped me to associate being overweight with all the problems in my life. And you know, I was singled out for bullying because I was fat. And I was dumped by my girlfriend because I was fat. In my mind, if I could lose weight and stay thin, my life would be much better. And also in my mind, being fat was the reason for all my problems. And, of course, now I still believe that healthy eating and moderate exercise are extremely important factors for good mental health and happiness, but... That's because of hormone regulation and how it affects my general happiness and not because of a number on a scale. Um, But anyway, at 19 years old, in my mind, the number on the scale and my shirt size became the most important thing in my life. And I was going to get those numbers as low as possible by any means necessary. Uh, I was really discouraged that I'd gain that 30 pounds back, and again, I started trying to lose weight, but... It didn't happen as easily this time. I'd started trying, and I'd lose weight for the first few days, but then the weight loss would slow down. Even though I was doing the same thing, it was just frustrating. And then on top of that, the fact that my family had literally just shattered from out of nowhere led me to be vulnerable to develop a mix of anorexia and bulimia. So that's really what I'm talking about. Um, it was my struggles with eating disorders. <laughs> I guess I had a really complicated way of leading up to it. but Well, I think it's really important and an interesting backstory. Do you think so? Yeah. Okay, good. I felt like I was just talking forever, and and I'm not that interesting. But... Well, it was really interesting. Okay. Thanks, Rosie. You're welcome. So most people have a rough idea of what these eating disorders are, but... A lot of people think it's just an unhealthy lifestyle choice that people make with a set of accompanying and physically dangerous actions. But these disorders are actually a lot more of a mindset. They're closer related to a mental illness than a physical lifestyle choice. No one would have known I had disordered eating by looking at me. Even though I was nowhere close to underweight, I was still anorexic and bulimic. I don't need to go into all the details about what these disorders are. You probably already know. And if you don't, you can look it up. But one of the diagnostic criteria that really stands out to me, according to the DSM-5, one of the official diagnostic criteria for bulimia slash anorexia nervosa is self-evaluation is unduly influenced by body shape and weight. So basically, body shape and your weight determine your self-worth and this is the huge factor that really defines these disorders i mean fasting can be healthy if it's done in a healthy way without being anorexia you know Mm -hmm. but evaluating your entire person based on your body shape and weight is where the true problem lies you know, basing your self-value on that number on the scale or what your shirt size is, you know. So for me, at the time, on a typical day, I would wake up and I'd have a bite of food like a Fiber One granola bar. I'd have one bite every four hours. And if I could go to bed that day with a little bit still left from the day, I'd be so proud of myself. I was getting about 80 calories that I was aiming to consume per day. And that's a ridiculously low number. That's crazy. I definitely lost weight during this time, but I also felt exhausted all the time. I felt mental fog and disconnected from reality. And because of this disconnect from reality, I felt like I was doing something really good for me, but that no one else would understand, so I had to keep it a secret. So... Now that I understand fasting and ketosis, I really realize why it was so difficult for me. I was giving myself those regular small doses, doses of a sugary, grainy food was actually making the pain much worse. 
It prevented me from entering ketosis while at the same time releasing insulin regularly to prevent me from actually burning my fat and also stoking my hunger even more. So I was constantly hungry and in pain, and this led me to go on crazy binges eating late at night when I couldn't sleep because of the hunger pains, and I would eat as much as I could stuff inside myself. And then once I was stuffed, I'd feel intense regret and shame and I'd go to the bathroom to purge it all out. I got trapped in this vicious cycle, and the fact that I was doing this led me to hate myself, and I became really reclusive, not even being able to go out in public or even go hang out with friends unless I had lost weight that week and felt good about myself. And I got to a point where I would literally work out for an hour and a half a day just trying to keep getting keep losing weight hmm. I mean, it was a really unhealthy place for me to be and this had I mean it did help me lose weight but it had long term effects on me and my physical and mental health so the summer I turned 21 I moved out of my mom's town home and got my own apartment and this was this was less than a year after we started dating Rosie remember mm-hmm I do. I lived on my own for a couple of months, and things got really lonely for me because it was before me and Rosie got married. I didn't get to see her very often. And I had started working at the post office, where I still work. And I started drinking every single day after work because I had just turned 21. Drinking was this brand-new world for me because I really never drank until I was 21. And so I'd sit on my couch every night and watch Scrubs and drink beer. And being a bachelor, I only ate food that I could quickly microwave. So I had a lot of chicken nuggets wrapped in tortillas <laughs> with ranch. That was like my go-to. Yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah. His Com- apartment was disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it was. But anyway, this was completely nutritional garbage, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I easily fell back into bad eating habits because I'd lost weight in such an unhealthy way before. You know, my my hormones were so screwed up from that. And I gained about 60 pounds in that next year. I went from 190 back up to 250 in less than a year. Uh, one night I... I actually tried brandy for the first time, and I drank a pretty decent amount of it and fell asleep on the couch. And early the next morning, while it was still dark, I woke up and walked to the bathroom to pee. And while I was peeing, I started getting really lightheaded and actually passed out in front of the toilet. And a few hours later, I woke up and I tried to stand up, but I couldn't extend my legs past a certain point. I just couldn't stand up at all. I had no idea what was wrong, and I gave it some time to go away, but I spent nearly two weeks on the couch, unable to even stand up, because I couldn't extend my knee past maybe 120 degrees. Um, Rosie and her mom were actually really helpful during this time. They would come over to my apartment and clean it up for me, and it was not good. My apartment... (laughs) was at the top of some wobbly metal stairs, which I couldn't get down on my own, so I had a few bags of garbage just sitting in my apartment. It was more like nine. (laughs) Do you remember that? I kind of (laughs) do. It was really bad, and I'm still ashamed of that, but uh, I finally went to the doctor to get some answers, like, why can't I walk? I had to sit on my steps and scoot down one at a time in a sitting position. And it was so embarrassing for me as a 21-year-old to basically be a cripple for no good reason. I rode into the hospital in a wheelchair, but the doctor couldn't find out what was wrong with me. My friend actually is the one that helped me get over it. He suggested that I have some bananas and a Powerade, and it actually worked. I realized that I had a crazy electrolyte electrolyte and potassium deficiency because I had been eating so unhealthy. And the night it happened, I had also become dehydrated after drinking brandy without enough water. And on top of that, 
I had rapidly gained 60 pounds over the past year, so I was carrying a lot more weight than my legs were used to. And so this is all just a perfect storm for me to wake up basically crippled. And that was a moment I realized I was no longer a kid and I couldn't just eat anything and be fine. And I was, at this point, just an extremely unhealthy adult. And so I I finally understand, looking back, why I had become so depressed around the time I moved out. I mean, my hormones were so out of whack. I'd lost my weight in such an unhealthy and unsustainable way. And both eating disorders cause severe mood swings and other mental issues because they literally destroy your hormone balance. So I I had gotten really depressed because in my younger years, I was really mentally stable. I I mean, I feel like I had a lot of control over myself when I was younger, but I had gone from that to being an emotional mess. And my hormones had become so destroyed by my eating disorders, and I was still overweight, even after everything I'd done to, you know, to lose it. So, I was in a pretty dark spot when it came to my self-image. As a kid, like I mentioned, I had felt a lot more control over my own life. And, like I mentioned in the beginning of Rosie's episode, I thought bad things happened to people because they were bad in some way. Like, I would see my sister binge on alcohol. I didn't understand the emotional and mental issues she was struggling with. And I didn't understand the chemical dependency attached to the addiction. I just saw her doing something that my parents defined as bad. And I saw her hurting her family with her actions. And I would think, how could she do this to us? I made it about myself when really it should have been about her and her getting help. I didn't understand how crippling an addiction or a mental illness could be until I fell into the trap of an eating disorder. And that was when I really started to feel a lack of control in my own life. Up until that point, like I said, I had felt in control. But then I realized how easy it was to lose control. And it scared the crap out of me and knocked me on my butt, forcing me to be humble and admit that I had been so wrong. Mm. Which is a big influence on kind of my my perspective on a lot of the things we talk about on our show now. Mm-hmm. You know, thankfully, since getting married to Rosie, I've developed a lot more healthy view of food, Aww. and I have a lot of that to having a more structured lifestyle and a very well kept home. Thank you, Rosie. Aww. You're amazing at keeping our house clean and cozy to live in, and <laughs> it's always so well decorated and pleasant just to be in. And having this nice environment to call home has really helped me sort out the other messed up areas of my life because if I didn't have you, Rosie, I would be, I don't know where I'd be. Like (laughs) I'm a very, I mean, you can look at my family and see that it kind of runs in the family. It does. We're very messed up people. You are. And so having you in my life has really helped somehow for me to be normal, at least this far. That's sweet. So thank you. But, um, obviously I'm not perfect. I've had a few relapses, but now I try to focus on my mental perspective and live by the principle of progress, not perfection. I even wrote a song about it, but I first heard that phrase said by Megan Ramos from the Intensive Dietary Management Program, and it stuck with me. It's helped me to see how consistent small actions over time are so much more important than big, extreme things for a short period of time. And I still have really rough days. Like, even today, I've I've just been in a funk. I think I was just really, really nervous about recording this episode because I don't know how people are going to react to it, you know? And I I'm, think it'll be fine. I'm really afraid that people are going to lose respect for But I don't know. I just feel like it's an important thing to talk about because it is so shameful. And I think people should realize that the shame 
isn't as bad as having to keep it stuffed inside, you know, and that it's worth dealing with and getting over. But I feel like my brain is healing now, and it will keep healing over time. And the entire time I was struggling with all these issues, I felt this immense pressure to stay strong for my mom and to try to be the perfect son because I was all she had left, and I wasn't strong enough to admit that I wasn't strong at all. So I kept all this bottled in for years, and no one ever really even knew I was struggling, except for one person that heard me puking in the bathroom one day, and he actually told Rosie about it. I remember <laughs> and her that. friend. And as pissed off as I was at the time about him doing that, it probably really did help me realize I needed to make a change. You denied it. I remember you denying it. Yeah, I was really ashamed. <laughs> but, I mean, the fact that I've gotten to a point in my life where I can talk about it openly, I think, is well, yeah. a testament to the progress I've made. Oh, yeah, hopefully. I just am, like, remembering that part. <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> but I want to just say it again. I'm so grateful to have you, Rosie, because... You're the only person I've ever met that I truly feel comfortable telling anything to, no matter how embarrassing. <laughs> and I've never had that, even with either of my parents or any other friends. I've always felt like I had to put on a facade and pretend to be stronger than I really was. And it led me to a breaking point. And I think it's so important to have someone to communicate with and talk things through with, whether it's a friend, a therapist, or a mate. So thank you for being so good to me, Rosie. Oh, that's so sweet. You're welcome. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Well, if you've made it this far, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my personal story here. If you haven't heard my co-host Rosie's personal story yet, who's also my wife, if you haven't (laughs) realized that, it's episode 18, and it's... This far, it's meant a lot to many people, so definitely check that out as well. But hopefully, if you struggle with these things yourself, or you have struggled with these things in the past, hopefully this story can be kind of encouraging or just relatable to you, because, you know, it's possible to get get through these things, no matter how dark life gets. It's possible for things to get better, so just don't give up and um, get the help you need. With all that said, do you have anything you want to talk about, Rosie, before I do this final wrap-up? Um, I can't really think of anything. Well, again, do you want to thank our patrons and do all the all the call-outs first before I wrap it up? Yeah. We do want to say thank you again to our new patrons and old patrons that have stuck around with us through this whole year. It's been awesome having some support. Uh, Also, if you want to support us, you can follow us on Patreon and sign up for different levels. We have some premium episodes out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The um, Goofy Encounters of To Catch a Predator is now live, our fourth premium episode. Good. It it got good feedback. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for... Uh, the ones that did give us feedback on that episode. And if you want to hear it, you can go find it on our Patreon. I do a wicked impression of Chris Hansen. Yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> if you want to hear Rosie talk like Chris Hansen, go listen. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you want to check us out on Instagram, you can find us at VOV Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at VOV Pod. And email us at vobpodcast.gmail.com. Yeah. All right. Well, with all that said... Oh, Threadless. Oh, yeah. If you want a t-shirt, you can find us on our Threadless store. Yeah. T-shirts or stickers or... um, Hoodies or bags. Bags. There's a lot of junk on there. (laughs) All right. Well, your reward for sticking it out this long is another little bonus piece of content from us. Um... Our listener and wonderful patron, Eli, actually gave me some reassurance about my music, which I talked about a little bit in here, and said that I should think about plugging it on the show once in a while. So 
This is my first time I'm going to let our public audience in our main feed know about my music and where you can find it. Is that okay, Rosie? Yeah. This 50-50 relationship? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I just don't want to use our show to promote my music if it's not okay with you. Mm. Yeah, I'll let it slide this time. You know how Red always plugs Red MC out on Instagram? Mm. <laughs> anyway... Uh, my stage name for my music is Wave Potter. What about me? Oh, yeah. There's actually a song on there featuring... Calypso. Yep. That's Rosie's stage name. Oh, yeah. So, you can actually hear the song that we record together on one of our Patreon episodes. Mm-hmm. Or if you just look up Wave Potter... On any streaming service, it's Fly Me to Neverland is the song that we made together. It's cute. But I'm going to play one of my other songs for you now off not my latest self-titled album, but the one before that, Um, which I should say quick, both of my albums are available under Wave Potter on any streaming service you may have. And if you don't have one, it's also free on SoundCloud. Um, or YouTube, and I'm also on YouTube and Instagram as Wave Potter. But anyway, um, I've posted some embarrassingly terrible stuff on there, so yeah, I'm not pushing that too hard. <laughs> but I just ask one thing. If you don't enjoy it, that's totally cool. I completely understand that music is a personal taste, and you don't need to like my music for me to love you as a listener. But don't be mean to them. <laughs> Well, thank you, Rosie. But what I was going to say is, if you do enjoy it, please let me know. I mean, music is super important to me. As you've seen in this episode, I've been playing since I was two years old, and it's a big part of my life, and I want to know if it impacts someone. So, yeah, be sure to reach out if you enjoy it. So, with that, we'll let you go. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Oh uh-huh.